I'm Esther Harani, and I live in my van, traveling around the southwest of the U.S., usually Arizona and Colorado and Utah. And I just completed a Nolan's unsupported FKT effort, and it was pretty cool. <laughs> and that's the podcast, like nice and simple. <laughs> yeah, how how is that? Did I introduce myself well? <laughs> yeah, that, that was a great intro. It was exactly what we needed, just short and sweet. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Nice. Well, um, so let's talk about Nolans then. Um, like, do you know much about the history of Nolans and how it all came about? You know, I used to know a lot about it because I've been thinking about, I've been looking at the line for the better part of probably 15 years and I've actually forgotten all of it. And it's really been on my list of like, go back and read this so I don't sound like a complete idiot when I like <laughs> talk to people about this, but life has been busy and I haven't. Um, but my understanding is it's just like a bar bet, right? Like, can you do these 14 mountains in a row in the Sawatch range. And then they put an arbitrary time limit of 60 hours on it for some reason. Um, so that's my understanding of how this idiocy came around. That's basically my understanding too. Like, I don't even know where the 60 hours came from. I was doing some research on it this morning and I was like, seems like an arbitrary time. Like they just like picked a number and like, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. And I think like that 60 hour time limit is sort of what it kept me from doing it for so long. Cause I've been looking at it for, I've been scouting it for the better part of a decade and looking at it for even longer than that. But I never really thought that 60 hours was something that was feasible for me. And so I never really gave it a shot. Cause I was like, well, I don't know. It's like, you want some, I don't know. Like I didn't want to do it and have it take like three days. And I, I didn't think that, or not three days. I didn't want it to take forever and then like not have it quote unquote count. And so I like, I just didn't do it because I didn't think it was in reach for me. Yeah. But what was so intriguing to you about it? And like, we'll talk obviously more about it here in a minute, but like, like what draws you to that? Because it's definitely grown in popularity over the years and like 10, 15 years ago, it was just kind of like a small thing, I guess, where like not a lot of people knew about it. It was still kind of growing, but now it seems like like everybody knows about it because like so many big names have gone after these times on it. For you personally, what was so intriguing about it? And what was kind of like the 10 to 15 year, not obsession, but interest in it, I guess. I mean, it's sexy. Like there's no better way to put it, but it's the sexy line, the skyline that just traverses the mountains from Salida to Leadville. And it's an area that I've been hanging out in for, I don't know as long as I can remember. And it's, I don't know, I think if you're not drawn to it, there's maybe something a little bit wrong with you. Because it's just such like a, I don't know, it's beautiful. It's just straight up beautiful. And it's always, yeah, I don't know. I've, I've always liked link ups. I've never been like, a, let's go bag a bunch of peaks or tick things off lists. Like I've always been much more of a, let's do big traverses around big areas and this sort of like tick the list of the things that I found attractive in something like this. So were the aesthetics the most important part to you about it or was it also like just the challenge of trying to go under 60 hours and also knowing that so many other strong women have, have gone out there specifically people that you know personally? <laughs> I, mean, I think initially like when I first heard about it 15 years ago because I heard about it when I was backcountry skiing there a bunch because I've skied a bunch of those peaks back in the day and just yeah the aesthetics of it like i don't know like yeah i'm not a list person like something needs to be pretty on a map or needs to be pretty on foot for me to want to go do it and this is definitely really gorgeous on the map 
and really gorgeous is the way it all links together. So I think for me, primarily it's always been about the aesthetics of it and always just wanting to be part of that landscape. But yeah, then like as I became like more involved in the running community and like watching all the amazing women do it over the years, um, like when Anna and Missy did it way back when, like not way back when, it wasn't that long ago, but thinking like, oh, it, it is doable by women. Like this is, this is super cool. But it was like, it's those two. Like I never felt like I was anywhere like on par with those two ladies. And then I helped pace Megan in 2020 when she did it, when she did her FKT run. And we paid, I paced her over uh, Huron and La Plata. And she was moving so fast. So she's on Lake Mountain. What is it? 11, 10 and 11. And she was moving so well. And I, I just remember thinking like, if she's moving this well, 80 miles into this, like this is, this is definitely out of my league. Like it's super cool to come pace, but like, there's no way I could ever move this well, 80 miles into an effort. So it was cool to be part of, but it definitely like, wasn't a vote of confidence in me wanting to, or feeling like I could do it, I guess. Just because it still felt so out of reach. It is pretty gnarly. Like if you just look at it, even just on paper, it's like, like just the massive amount of vert and the root variations and just so many variables there where like, like any FKT that I've done has been like pretty straightforward. It's like, okay, just kind of a couple days, get through here and, and you're done. But it, Nolan's, this seems like a whole different ball game as far as FKTs go. I don't know like what, if you have any thoughts about that. I mean, for sure. Cause it's, I don't know what the percentages are. Like there's a big chunk that's off trail and yeah, there's a bunch of different ways to do it. And if you're someone who has the patience and the mindset and the personality to like go out and scout these mountains for an entire summer or summer after summer and like get to know all the lines super well, like there are definitely faster ways and slower ways to go through the route. And it's it's sort of a big puzzle rather than, just uh, how fast can you move your feet over a trail, which to me, that definitely appeals to me because I, I don't necessarily move my feet excessively fast over trail, but I can put pieces of a puzzle together pretty well. Why do you like that puzzle building? Because I think that's why FKTs are intriguing to a lot of people is because you have to design the route essentially to a certain extent, but then also like plan all logistics and everything about it. Whereas like a race is pretty much like show up and run. Like, for a lot of events, you don't have to really plan anything. It's just kind of like, okay, I'm here. I'm going to go run this and be done. Everything's catered essentially. But an FKT, especially one like Nolan's, is just, it, it's so much different. And like the mental planning, I guess, for everything is so much more intense. It's like, do you enjoy that process of like scouting and setting things up and then seeing if your plan's going to play out properly or maybe it'll be a total disaster? I don't know if I necessarily enjoy it i'm not a details person i'm definitely a big picture person who then can problem solve on her feet um but it's something i'm good at like it's something that caters to my skill set much more so than being able to run fast so for me it's i don't find trying to be a faster runner all that intriguing but i do find solving puzzles intriguing and if i can make moving fast through the mountains part of those puzzles then that's an added bonus 
Nice. That makes a lot of sense. So I guess, <laughs> I guess planning for this then, like, let's talk about your training going into it. And then we'll talk about like the route you did and everything like on the actual attempt, but like what kind of planning went into this and training? Because you're saying it's been in your mind for so long. So like, have you been essentially training for this for like 10 years or is this kind of like, okay, all the pieces are coming together. I'm just going to do it now. Or like, how did this all come about? It was 100% um, just variables coming together. So I knew that I had some data points this summer that I was pretty fit. Like I definitely didn't come into the summer thinking I'm going to do Nolan's or I'm going to get super fit or whatever. It was just much more of a, I was out doing stuff and fitness seemed to come around. And I had this three week period where I just didn't really have a whole lot of plans. Like I didn't have much work going on and sort of looked at this to watch forecast and I was like, well, the weather looks good. Like I could scout for a week and then I could like rest for, five or six days and then I could like see what happens and not secret but low-key and not make a big deal out of it because like I know I don't have the personality of going out and scouting this for an entire summer I just don't like I have a limited attention span there's a lot of mountains to go play on and I wasn't ever going to spend a whole summer in the Sawatch scouting properly uh, so it wasn't sort of a last minute let's go check this out. And like before that week of scouting, I'd seen maybe 80% of it just through various scouting trips over the years. And then I'd spent six out of seven days scouting. So I got feet on probably 90, 90 to 95% of it. So I'd seen most of it by the time I went into it. And then, yeah, like I felt fit and I felt like I knew the route and I have... I've been doing a lot of off-trail stuff the past couple of years. So that was sort of a big component that before I wasn't necessarily comfortable traveling off-trail, especially solo and especially in the dark. And now I'm not going to call it second nature, but it's I'm comfortable doing it. And so that was a big mental bit that sort of came together. And so, yeah, I uh, scouted next... for a week. Yeah. yeah I scouted ahead. for a week and uh, had to move everything up because the weather was coming in. So, Yeah did six big days and took four days sort of real chill and got my food together and off I went. So no, I get it. I don't want it to come off as like flippant that I just showed up and did no ones. Like it's, it was a decade of on and off scouting, but it was a last minute, like variables came together. I had fitness, I had weather, I had time, might as well go for it. Yeah. It seems like everything kind of came together for you, which is like pretty awesome considering like, what could have happened potentially with weather and whatever but um yeah. let's talk about like this is walk through the attempt um like the night before like what was kind of your planning process and what was going through your head at that point oh my planning process my brother can attest to me attest to this because he was camping with me um in the days leading up to it but it really was just going through my van and seeing like putting together ten thousand calories because i did this unsupported so I needed to carry everything from the get-go. And so it was sort of just like laying out my food. And like, I've done a ton of fast packing. I've done a bunch of big days in the mountain. So it really was just like, I thought of it as one big day in the mountain where I had to carry a bunch of food. So was, yeah, like I laid out all my food, put it all in, put it in an emergency bibby in my pack. And that was pretty much it like that. And then what I would normally carry for a big day in the mountains. So there wasn't anything super complex, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it seems pretty straightforward. And I guess if you're not you're not sleeping and you're not having to like meet up with crew at any point, it's like 
it's pretty cut and dry, right? Yeah, it's like I've I've crewed for people at ultra races and I've crewed for people on FKT attempts, and there's so many details that go into organizing a crew and or making all that go smoothly, and that is not my strength. Like I am, that's my worst nightmare. Like having to coordinate people like that, which is one of the big reasons I wanted to do do it unsupported, just so I could avoid that whole rigmarole of getting people to certain places at certain times and making sure they had certain snacks. Like I just wanted to. I don't know make it as simple as possible i hear you on that one i was i was on a shoot one time and the the producer was asking me about some fkt i'd done and this is like years ago it was like nothing crazy but he was just like why do you do so many things solo and i was just like i never really thought about that but then once i thought about it for a minute i was like because it's easier like you don't oh, have to coordinate so... people if you fail you don't have to like i don't know like feel sorry for wasting someone's weekend or something it's just it's just so easy as far as that and, like it's great yeah and like i it was such a last minute attempt that even if I had wanted to like get a crew together, like half the running community was off in Chamonix doing some running festival thing over there. <laughs> some silly jog around the mountain. Some, right? <laughs> yeah. Some silly run around a mountain. It's like most, like that was part of another thing of like the reason I did it. Cause most of my adventure partners were actually off in Europe doing um, UTMB stuff. It's like, I didn't really have a whole lot of people to like play with those like that week leading up to it so sort of like well what am i going to do like i need something to like pass the time i might as well go scout nolan's (laughs) (laughs) might as well (laughs) might as well (laughs) all right well then that morning then uh like how did that go did you start early to try to minimize any weather potential even though i know you said you had pretty good weather but like yes i i started on friday morning at 4 a.m and i what I, mean, I didn't sleep much because it was that it was that nervous thing of not I wasn't nervous about the run because running is whatever we're going on a walk in the mountains but I knew I go loopy about after 40 hours of no sleep and so I knew that I had to get a good night's sleep and then when you're nervous about getting a good night's sleep of course you don't sleep at all so listened to a bunch of podcasts read a bunch of my book maybe slept like an hour and a half um but uh, yeah, I decided to go for a.m. because I knew weather was going to move in Sunday afternoon. And so I was sort of butting up against a front coming in. So I wanted to get over Mount Massive, the last mountain. I was hoping before noon and a 4 a.m. start sort of gave me the best chance to do that. So, and that's when all the cool people start. So I figured, why not? I'll start then too. <laughs> well, that's news to me. So I must not be part of that club. I guess I'll have to... <laughs> That's when Sorry. Megan started. That's when Megan started, I guess. <laughs> okay. Well, Megan's definitely part of the cool kid club, so I'll have to yeah. try and join that sometime. <laughs> she's, she's my cool kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, so how did things go then? You have obviously like pre, uh, pre-sunrise pre start. So how did things go initially? Did you feel pretty good and strong? Or yeah, I was kind of talking I, about that. I did. Like I was a little worried because two days prior, I tried to be like a proper runner and did a bunch of stretching and I made my hamstrings super duper sore. So the day before, like I was sort of hobbling around with sore hamstrings. I was like, stretching is not a recommended thing if you don't stretch regularly, turns out. Um, (laughs) But yeah, like I, I don't know, it's super peaceful and super quiet. And I like, I knew from like, cause I come from a bikepacking background and I come from a multi-day, um, adventure racing type background so i knew like you can't take it out too hard because it's it's two and a half days of walking through the mountains and the couple minutes on the first couple peaks aren't gonna matter 
And Megan had told me, she was like, you've got the fitness for this. You just need to execute it properly. So the whole way up, I had like Megan on my shoulder um, being like, don't go, don't go too hard. Don't go too hard. Don't go too hard. And I didn't think I went too hard. And then I got up faster than Sarah Hansel's time. And she's, she was the former FKT holder. And so I had her splits and I got up to the top of Chabonneau, um, like two minutes faster than she had gotten up. And I was like, oh, oh dear. Oh dear. I've messed up. <laughs> um, but it, it, I don't know. I felt good. So like, it's sort of like, I wasn't going to sit there and be mad that I went too fast, but I definitely, I tried to dial it back a little bit after that, but I figured like, yeah early race excitement or early FKT excitement. Yeah, definitely. It's like probably hard to like rein that back, especially when you're stoked on something you've been thinking about for so long. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what, what route did you decide to do? Cause I know there are like minor variations that you can do essentially. And then also it's kind of like pick your own route to a certain extent. Right. Yeah. So I had, I did a combination of like stuff that I had scouted and like some of the stuff that I hadn't seen before the FKT site does have a GPX file which is definitely not the fastest route through there but it's a route that I knew went um and so like off of Chavano and Tab I'd scouted that in the week prior and sort of knew where to go and yeah I don't know like there's yeah there's no set route but I'd like to say that I followed my route um properly but there were definitely some navigational snafus in there throughout um the two and a half days some moments i'm not entirely proud of but that's okay <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should talk about some of those uh not so proud moments because i think like fkts we have to navigate like i think they're a lot more interesting than just like a straightforward like hey i just ran this trail so yeah. like what kind of navigational in your words snafus happened um, did they happen at night specifically because it's just off trail in the dark or was it just a an account of being tired or what was going on with that well uh, the i mean the first real not graceful moment was the first night i was coming off of harvard and up oxford it's probably like 2 a.m and megan had told me um so for any listeners who don't know megan she's held the nolan supported fkt twice and runs i run far and she's an amazing mountain athlete and one of my best adventure buddies um and so She's never given me a GPX track for any of this, but she's given me tons of advice on like how to navigate Nolans and how to do Nolans. But she told me like in this week of scouting, like go scout the descent off Harvard and the ascent of Oxford. But it's sort of one of those places that it's impossible. It's not impossible to get back into, but it's a ways to get back into. So I was like, ah, it'll be fine. I have a GPX line. I'll just follow it. It'll be fine. But it, it wasn't fine. It was very much not fine. Like I just like ended up in rocks and deadfall and just wandering aimlessly. And I had a tracker going. I had my inReach going. And originally I had it going at 10 minute intervals. And I was just mangling it so badly that I switched the tracking to 20 minute intervals because I had this like little like voice of Megan on my shoulder being like, Esther, I told you to go scout this. Like, why didn't you go scout this? And I didn't want her to be able to like see how badly I was navigating it like I know what I'll do I'll turn my tracker to 20 minutes and she won't be able to tell which is a highly mature um, reaction to being lost in the woods I think <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was just like 
I don't think I lost that much time on it, but it just was so frustrating of just like, this shouldn't be this hard. Um, but I got down and got up Oxford. The sun came up. Life was good. But then the second night going over Albert, um, the sleep monster definitely got me. And I sort of got really disoriented and really confused about where I was and what I was doing. And you sort of like, you don't super follow the ridge. Like you sort of cut a bunch of the bumps off on this ridge going up to Alberts. And I just kept wandering down these sub ridges. And like for the life of me could not stay on the main ridge of Albert and just super frustrating and super just slow. It was just really slow and not, not great. <laughs> um, and there's no trail. You're just up there on rocks and tundra and, yeah, following a GPX line and hoping you're going in the right direction. And I had no moon, so there wasn't really like a, I couldn't see the mountains around me to sort of even get a bearing of where I was or where I was going. So. Yeah, I, was, I was reading your report on the FKT site. Like, well, it's pretty brief, first of all, <laughs> which is fine. But you did <laughs> mention the, the lack of the moon in that, like, you would like to go back or it would have been nice to go back at least with the full moon and, um, just for that extra little bit of light. Like I think when you're navigating things in the dark and you're tired, like just having that bit of moonlight can be like super beneficial. Yeah. I think with a full moon, you can actually see pretty well. And even if it's like, you just get a bearing of I'm going towards this pass or I'm going towards this peak. Like you don't need to be able to micro, like you need a headlamp to micro navigate to see what's in front of your feet. But as long as you have an idea of like where you're headed, I think that helps so much. But I didn't no, have I, a moon, I, so. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sure the stars are beautiful, though, right? Oh, they're gorgeous. Yeah. It was, I mean, yeah. Both nights were stunning nights, but would yeah. not have minded no. a moon. <laughs> I, bet. I, I do find it interesting that, like, little variables like that can make such a huge difference in an FKT. Like, if you had full moonlight, like, maybe you could have shaved off, like, a bunch of time just simply because you could navigate faster and not get off track at all. You could least have a bearing and be in the right direction versus all these little side quests i guess all over the place yeah little pigeon quests down the sides of albert i know those <laughs> little side ridges real well now <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned earlier that like after around 40 hours you kind of just get kind of loopy with the lack of sleep like when you hit that mark was that like i don't know did that hit you really hard then or did that kind of wait until you're on that second night uh it like the second afternoon, I had to sort of take three naps in short succession coming up the backside of La Plata. Um, and like I, I've learned over the course of like my multi-day racing career that little 10-minute naps will do wonders in terms of just resetting the brain and like resetting motivation. And that you don't lose that much time. Like if you're just like wandering aimlessly and unmotivated, like it's worth taking that 10-minute nap in order to like reset and then actually move um so i've taken a bunch of little naps and coming off La Plata towards albert i was sort of like negotiating with myself that okay when we get to the the drainage between the two i'm going to take a proper nap and go because i knew that i needed to sleep i wasn't going to make it through the two nights without sleep it just wasn't i know myself well enough that that wasn't going to happen so yeah i took a like a 20 minute nap at the bottom of albert but yeah, it just got sort of like spookier and spookier as I was going up. Cause like you go by all this old mining stuff and it's like these old like rundown mining shacks and these railroads and 
it just got real spooky. It got super spooky. Um, and yeah, like just where am I? What am I doing? Like, and eventually I was like, you just, you need to lay down and sleep. Esther. Like you just need to get your baby out. You need to lay down and take a proper nap. And so like, I took a 10 minute nap and woke up and I was like, nap, still not motivated. Took another 10 minute nap, still not motivated. Hit the snooze button again and finally got up. And this was before I hit Albert Summit. And then on the backside of Albert coming down, it, you go down this like super steep ridge and then you're in this like wonky little drainage and you have to cross, a, like, cross this little sub drainage like exactly the right spot or things get real ugly real fast. And I just got super like could not figure out how to get out of this drainage and just like what am I even doing was I on La Plata earlier this this afternoon like I think there's this thing called Nolan's is that a Nolan's 12 or is it a 14 maybe it's a 13 what am I doing like really like it was bizarre like I've done a lot of sleep deprivation stuff in my life and I've never been quite confused in this way and so, like, I was in the middle of this, like, rock glacier drainage thing and just, like, you know, I'm done. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I am. I can't get out of here. I'm just going to wait until the sun comes up and I quit. I'm walking out of here. And this was with one mountain left. Like, three hours up on Sarah's splits and just, like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. So, I chucked my bivy out, laid down. I found, like, just enough dirt to, like, fit my curled up little body. And I didn't even set an alarm. Like, I was that done. I didn't set an alarm. I just, like, laid down. I was, like, done. We're done. And then the wind picked up. And, like, I remember, like, pulling the baby over my head and just, like, cursing the wind. Being, I just want to sleep. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. And I look around. And, like, this, like, it's not, the sun's not up yet. But as you can see, and I'm, like, okay, well, I see where I am. I see where I need to go. And I look at my watch. And I'm still, like, 40 minutes up on Sarah's splits. And I was, like, well if I boogie, like if I boogie and things go well and I navigate well, maybe I can still pull this off. And so yeah, got up, ate like five Sour Patch Kids, which was all my stomach could take for like the whole rest of the day. Um, shoved my baby in a bag and went. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of things I could have done better for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's easy to look back on that though, when you're one, you slept, you've eaten a lot of food, and you're not up at 14 or 13,000 feet or something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but at the time, I, I did the best I could with what I had. <laughs> <laughs> Has sleep deprivation, like, I know you mentioned already, that's kind of always been a thing for you, but like, even after doing so many like longer things like bike packing and fast packing and these multi day events, like, have you not been able to train your body or your mind a little bit to deal with that better? Or has it just always been a biological thing for you? I think it's just when your brain doesn't get sleep, it does weird things. Like it starts to hallucinate and it starts to get confused. And like, I've seen people go way off the deep end with sleep deprivation and like go actually properly crazy. And so I, I've always been, especially with self-supported efforts where you're out there alone at 14,000 feet, being really cognizant of the fact that you're flirting with a line of danger that if you do actually lose your ability to reason and think you don't have someone there next to you being like the voice of reason. Like you have to be aware enough to make good decisions. So you don't end up dead, which I think is sort of the, 
I think it's like more so than like having crews meet you every once in a while. Like that's the big thing with self-supported stuff and not having pacers is like you have to make decisions that will keep you safe because you don't have someone else keeping you safe out there. And so I think sleep deprivation, when you have someone next to you saying walk, walk in a straight line, walk on this trail is way different than being sleep deprived by yourself off trail at 14,000 feet. Yeah, definitely. Like I've, I've paced at Cocodona and like other 200s a couple of times. And it's like, it is a lot easier to be like, okay, like runner, just go forward, just follow this path. Like we'll follow the flags and it's fine. But like when you're out there having to make like essentially life or death situations, I know that sounds a little dramatic, but like, it's, it's kind of not like if you're at 14,000 feet and make some terrible mistake, like you could die or put yourself in a very precarious situation. So like, there's so much more mental fatigue when you're having to, to plan and just execute i guess something versus just follow markings and and get food at aid stations and naps or whatever yeah so i think it's i've i've not gotten better at it like i still go loopy at 40 hours and need to like reset my brain but i've become more aware of like what it feels like to be sleep deprived like i feel like i can push up against the limit of sleep deprivation better than i could in the past like maybe if i in the past like if i started hallucinating i'd be like oh i'm done Versus now I'm like, oh, it's a nice woman in the woods who actually turned out to be a tree. And that's fine. Like, I, I know the limit of where I need to sleep a little bit better than I used to in the past. At least you're aware of it. That helps, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so after you're, um, you're kind of shiver bivy there in the wind, um, like you got going again and were you just like totally stoked to get it over with? Or was there like the idea of getting the record on your mind too or what was going through your head at that point and what was that like like what was that process like so I, I knew Sarah's split at the top of Albert and I knew that I was probably maybe 40 minutes down the mountain from where or I was 40 minutes down from the summit and so when I actually got going it was sort of dead on when Sarah had been on the summit of Albert so I was like okay I've got a little bit of a gap on her and going downhill I felt I mean, I won't say I felt great, but I felt super motivated. It was like running and shuffling and thought I was moving actually pretty good. And then the climb up massive is just this endless switchback trail up uh, Half Moon Creek, maybe? I think it's Half Moon Creek. And it's one of those things, like it's a 14er. It was a Sunday morning. There were a lot of people on it, like a lot of people of uh, varying fitness abilities, let's say. And like normally it's like when you're, when you're a runner and you're on a 14er, you end up passing a lot of people. And I just remember there was this group that was up ahead of me that I was sort of like, I can catch them. And I, for the life of me, just could not, there was no gas in the tank. I could not catch them. I was like, okay, we're just gonna like keep pace with them. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I couldn't eat, like my stomach was totally gone, had been gone for a long time. Um, and I was sort of like, I knew like on fresh legs, how long it would take me to get down from the summit of massive. And I sort of was like, well, on tired legs, let's add 40% or whatever. So I sort of had like, I need to get to the top by this time. And it was looking a little dicey there for a second. Then I come around this corner and there's this, these huge storm clouds on the horizon come, like coming in from the North. And I was like, oh, oh dear, oh dear. And it's like, uh, we always joke that like you have lightning gears in your legs that like when there's lightning on the horizon, like your legs can move faster than they normally could. And those lightning gears full on kicked in. Like I was like, I'm getting over this mountain. There's no questions asked. Like I'm not 
I'm not stopping here. And so that sort of like lit a fire under my ass. And it was a full on snowstorm by the time I got up. Like it was, it started snowing at like 13, eight and the last probably half hour up to that summit, just full on couldn't see a hundred yards blizzard um, in the snow. And I was like, well, I guess this is sort of fitting, I guess for me like quitting and taking a nap and not keeping on moving. Like, serves me right. <laughs> <laughs> but got to the top. Um, and then I sort of like, I had, I think, three and a half hours to get down. And I know new on fresh legs, I could get down to like an hour 45. So like, unless something goes super duper wrong, like, I think I could pull it off. But it definitely felt touch and go. Like my last miles weren't fast by any stretch. So, it's, yeah. I had my eye on the watch the whole way up that out for sure. <laughs> yeah, fourteeners are funny in that regard. I guess is like as far as like seeing people like if you're saying of, of various abilities and stuff, and then then I guess when you're so sleep deprived and tired, and you're like 80, 90 miles in and trying to like I don't know pass people, but more just like use them as pacers. Like yeah, this is different. <laughs> yeah, because I got Huron, which I hit sort of midway through the second day, so Saturday like two p.m. or whatever. It's like it's a super popular 14er and there were probably 150 people on that mountain. And I passed a whole lot of people and they were great little rabbits to be like, okay, you'll get that person. You'll get that person. You'll get that person. But then I, I still had legs then, but going up massive, there were, there was no gas left in the tank. It was, it was a pure survival for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like as you're um, kind of wrapping things up? Like, did you, did you know you're going to get the, like the FKT and then like what was going through your head? I think like once, like from the, once I got to the top, I had a pretty, I felt fairly confident that unless I like tripped and fell on my face and broke something um, or just went entirely off the wrong bridge, um, I, I would probably get it. Like you never want to say I've got this until you're actually at the fish hatchery. I felt like as long as I kept moving and I kept shuffling whenever I could shuffle, it would be fine. So, but I was worried because it's like my watch was counting down the miles. They so had the track on my watch and it was like 4.3 miles and I was doing the math. I was like, okay, if I'm doing like 23 minute miles, which was pretty quick for me at that point of time going downhill. <laughs> I was like, I've got it. But then I was like, of course the paranoia kicks in. I was like, well, what if the track is wrong? What if it's an extra two miles? If it's an extra two miles, you're not going to make it. But I was like, well, you just got to go as fast as you can go. And that's all, that's all you can do. So, yeah, I don't know. It felt touch yes. and go. It felt touch and go. Yeah, it sounds like it, but maybe it was like an unsupported FKT with um, an asterisk there because you're supported by the lightning legs, right? Yeah, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> that storm was massive. It wasn't that. It was burly. I was like, this is not, this was not planned. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like it worked out though for the best. So like, as you're coming in, like, like obviously like, you kind of know you're getting close to the fish hatchery. So like what's going through your head at that point? Were you just stoked and, but also relieved to just be done with the day or the days? I think it hadn't really sunk in. Like, I think my brain was still sort of tired enough that it was just, there's a very singular focus of forward movement. Don't stop moving forward. And yeah, it hurts, but what, like, once you get there, you'll be able to sit down and then it won't hurt anymore. And it was just, 
I'd love to say I'd had, I had all these emotions of deep spiritual experiences or whatever, but it was just like, just move, just keep moving, just keep moving. Um, so no, there weren't any deep thoughts about, <laughs> about the, the magnitude of uh, what I was trying to do. Thinking of that real quick, I think it's funny how like everyone tries to make these like, oh, I was out here for two days and this is like, I don't know, the spiritual experience is something like super esoteric, but it's like, no, I think a lot of times we're just like grinding forward and like just can't wait to be done to eat food and not be on our feet anymore, right? Yeah, my legs hurts. Like my quads are trash. My legs are trash. My feet hurt so bad. It was just, <laughs> I just wanted to be done and be done with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so then you got done. What was your um, your final time? And then um, what was that finish like for you? My uh, final time was 57 hours and four minutes. And it's funny because like I, I was so focused on just because I knew I had to get in under four, 57 hours, 43 minutes. And so for me, it didn't matter if I made it in and, and with five minutes to spare or whatever. And now everyone's like, oh, you couldn't have gotten like four minutes back somewhere on the course to go under 57 hours. And I'm like, no, I couldn't have. Like, <laughs> everything was left out there. <laughs> um, so yeah, 57 hours, four minutes, which be Sarah's time by 39 minutes, I believe. Uh, but yeah, it was super cool because I, because I hadn't planned anything, I hadn't planned any way to get back to my vehicle or anything. Like I was just going to show up to the pitch hatchery and hope something happened, <laughs> which, you know, something always happens. But I was super lucky because Courtney DeWalter and Kevin and Esther Kendall came out to my finish and I could hear them. Like you can hear them, I don't know. 200 yards out just like yelling and screaming and Courtney has such a distinct voice like I knew exactly who it was and it was just so special that like they came out and they had a little blanket out for me and they brought me whiskey which I was like no I can't I can't drink that <laughs> right now that would be a disaster <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah like, I think because it was sort of a last minute thing for me and it wasn't it didn't feel like it was I don't know, like it hadn't been something that I'd been obsessing about all summer, that it sort of just felt like I'd finished an adventure. And I was like, well, it was a big adventure and I was really tired. But it like the magnitude of it definitely didn't sink in at the time. It was just like, oh, well, I'm here. Let's go get pizza. Like it didn't, I don't know. It took it took a, several days to be like, oh, I did something really cool. <laughs> Isn't it funny but, how that works? Oh, go ahead. But yes, yeah, so like, and then they took me up to uh, Leadville to uh, High Mountain Pies and we got pizza. And I still had no way to get back to my car, which was like at the end of like an eight mile dirt road um, in Salida, like an hour and a half drive away. And we're just shit, sitting there eating pizza. And this guy like, overhears our conversation and he comes over and he's like, oh, what did you do? And was curious about it. And I was just like completely uninhibited because I'm sleep deprived and like, nothing is off limits. I was like, Hey, are you driving towards Salida? And he sort of looks at me. He's like, well, no, but I could be, I guess. <laughs> and I was like, if you could just like get me to the bottom of the street road, like I can hitchhike up to my car. Cause it's a 14 or trailhead. There'll be people going up. And he drives me all the way back to my car. Like it was like the most amazing like, instance of the universe taking care of me that I could ever have hoped to uh, encounter. And so, yeah, got back to my car and I was like, well, here I am back where I was three days ago my feet are sore but I guess we go to bed now 
and it was all just very like low fanfare low everything which is i think is exactly how i'd want it to be i i definitely understand that like i'm not to like deviate too much from the conversation but i'm doing a film on jeff browning right now doing the rocky mountain slam Mm -hmm. and so like all the events are just like super old school and like at wasatch 100 last week it was cool just because it's like it's just super mellow like not a lot of fanfare it's just kind of like go do this because you want to and not because there's a bunch of cameras on you or something and this is really cool to see and i like that about fkt so it's cool that you had that experience of just like doing it because you want to do it and not because it's like oh well i might get a bonus or there's cameras or media or something it's like you did this because you really wanted to and like it it all worked out and like it's awesome like it sounds like you had a great adventure yeah no it was great it's like i i don't know the fkt was a bonus i just really wanted to it's a line that's been in my brain for so long that it it's something that i wanted to yeah just finally finally get done so it could like not be in my brain anymore because <laughs> it's a good reason to do things just to kind of get it out of your head <laughs> well it's one of those things that's like it's always had appeal to me and it's always been something i wanted to do and i've always been like no 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 just like forget about it like you're never going to scout it properly you're never going to do it quote unquote the right way and so i really wanted it to just like not be in my brain anymore to be like either i'm just commit to not never doing it in my life or just commit to doing it and so now the fact that like I did it, like I don't have to think about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I can just think about the adventure part and not the the maybe I'll do this someday part. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was thinking about that the other day, kind of just like, I don't know, like with work stuff, I feel like I spend a lot of time just like planning and preparing. But then really in the end, it's like, it's almost to a certain extent, just busy work because you can plan and plan and plan, but if you'll never actually execute anything and do it, it's like, what's the point of taking all that time to plan? So like, the fact that you just went and did it, I think is, is super awesome because you could just spend another 10 years like, oh, I got to scout more. I got to do this. I got to train this. I got to do that. But it's like, sometimes you just got to just do it. And yeah, it, it's like, it's like a waste of mental energy almost and like, and your skills too. And even it's like time of your life just to like plan forever and then never actually do it. Yeah. Like I've really come to accept that my personality type is like, I'm happiest when like my flow state is on the edge of chaos is what I like to say. And so when things are like about to go wrong is when I feel like I function the best as a human being. Like when things are sort of almost chaotic, almost like on the brink of disaster, like that's when I really, that's when I do well. And I've sort of learned that about myself over the years. And when things are super well planned, I get super bored. So for me, it's like, in all honesty, like having some parts of the route unknown like not having a mood and having things not go right so it keeps me on my toes it keeps me going versus like having things go completely right like i'm like "Eh, whatever (laughs) (laughs) oh it's funny and i guess it makes sense like everyone's personalities are a little bit different yeah so i've just come to own that as part of me is like i'm not a planner and i never will be a planner and i shouldn't I shouldn't pretend that I'm good at that sort of stuff because I'm not. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about um, the nutrition aspect of it because you, you did all self-supported, which so or unsupported, I should say. So for the people that don't know, that's like literally carrying all your food and trash and everything the entire way. So like, what did you end up bringing? Did you go for like calories per ounce type thing or just kind of like, here's a bunch of food I like and just kind of roll with it? I 
no, I'm not a great eater at high altitude. And I sort of know that about myself, but I'm generally pretty good at liquid calories. Um, and I'm also like with fast packing, I sort of like pile a bunch of stuff together and I'm like, oh, that looks like that's about right. But I sort of felt like for this, I had to be a little bit more of a weight weedy and like sort of count out calories. And so I said like, okay, if I'm going to be out there for 57 hours, 200 calories an hour, I need somewhere on the order of like 11,000 calories. So I did a whole bunch of baggies of tailwind because that I could generally stomach even in like worst case scenario. And then like I I was lazy and like didn't want to go to the grocery store. So I was like just digging through my van and like a bunch of bars and a bunch of Sour Patch Kids. And like I went so far as to like count out Sour Patch Kids to like each baggie had 400 calories of Sour Patch Kids. It's like, oh man, Megan, the ultimate weight weenie would be so proud of me for this one. Um, but yeah, so I packed, I ended up packing 11,000 calories and I'd say I ate maybe about six over the course of it. Um, I did not eat enough. I did not eat enough. Was it just because your stomach was kind of messed up the entire time or half the time? I ate really well the first day. And then this, I think just stomachs in general don't, they shut down at night. And maybe like if you went out and ate a bunch at night and trained them, you could teach your stomach to digest during like the witching hours. But my stomach was like the whole, even the first night was like, do we gotta, don't really want to like, be digesting this stuff right now um so i sort of got into a deficit that first night and then the second day i feel like i ate pretty decently but like not definitely not enough like there's no way to eat enough on these things um and then it got dark and i pretty like the reality is i probably got in maybe five or six hundred calories from when it got dark until when i finished like it was pretty uh don't look to me for nutrition information. If that's what people are looking for, don't do what I did. <laughs> yeah, if you're looking for a nutrition coach, we got one right here for you. It's don't eat. <laughs> five, five Sour Patch Kids when you get up after you quit and then get up and over a 14,000 foot peak. You'll be totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> at least you avoided the whiskey at the end though. So that's a, a positive from it. Oh man, Kevin pulled it out and I looked at it. I was like, oh, I so want to, but I know I need to get back to my van before I... Uh, do anything like that <laughs> <laughs> i imagine the whiskey hit pretty hard at moderate altitude and being awake for two days i i suspect it would have yeah <laughs> i was tempted though i was real tempted <laughs> oh i bet so what are uh, what are some of your takeaways i guess from this like what did you learn the most from i guess semi-planning and not really eating for 60 or 60 ish hours out there at nolan's oh i think yeah, I think it confirmed that I'm not a good eater when it comes to foot activities like in bikepacking stuff. Like, I don't know. Eating on a bike is just fe always felt so easy to me. Like I do these big multi-day races, multi-week races, and they're basically just eating races that whoever can eat the most is going to do well. And I could eat anything and like have no stomach distress. And I was always like, oh, I'm a champion eater. This is no problem. And foot stuff is just so different. And I don't know why it's so different, but it's so different in terms of like stomach distress. Um, so I, yeah, I confirmed that I am not a good eater for foot activities. Um, as far as like, I don't know. 
like I haven't really raced in a lot of years and I haven't done sort of sort of big hard efforts in a lot in a long long time and it's sort of fun like it's sort of fun to be fit and fast and be able to go out and pull these things off I don't know I didn't have any deep spiritual experiences. I went for a two and a half day <laughs> walk in the mountains. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> At least you can be honest about it. <laughs> if you, people always want like, oh, what did you like, what did you learn about yourself? And I'm like, I don't know if you eat too many Sour Patch Kids, your mouth goes raw. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> They'll make all your food super acidic because it's going to burn your tongue off. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's funny. It is interesting though, like how in riding, because like I'm not like a great rider by any means, but I do like gravel biking a lot. And it's crazy like how much easier it is to consume calories like while you're on your bike versus running. Cause like when I run, it's like 30 to 60 grams of carbs an hour max before I feel like, okay, I've had too much. And on my bike, I'm like, I can just like just literally just eat off the bag the entire time. And I'm just like, oh, this is great. Like I feel fine. Like, yeah, it, you can eat wild. all the snacks. Yeah. All the snacks all the time. <laughs> like nonstop, and then like i've been following bike racing a bit more recently and just like the amount of of carbs that these guys and girls are eating like even at altitude like for leadville for example i'm like that's mind-blowing to me because if you were running there's no way you could eat that much at altitude running that pace but like when you're riding it's just like i don't know it's just different which is just super interesting yeah it's i mean like i've been running for i don't know probably close to a decade now and like you'd think that i had worked this out by now but I don't know. Food. Food and running. What a pain. <laughs> <laughs> it is. That's one reason why I like, I like to run in the morning because I don't have to eat a bunch all day and then go run. And like every time I run in the evening, I'm just like, oh, my stomach just feels like I don't yeah. like there's a brick in it no matter what I do. I don't know. If you work it out, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know. I'm definitely, uh, I don't know. I have a few little tips and tricks for myself personally, but I don't know if that'll apply for you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know, like in the end like it was just it was something I've been wanting to do for a long time and it just yeah. feels good to like I don't know I've gotten brave enough to actually go do it and like the pulling it off is just icing on the cake no that's pretty awesome so is there anything else like in your head that you're gonna do in the next 10 years that you've been motivated by or are you just kind of kind of just rolling the things right now oh I, like in all honesty like I don't know what I'm doing for dinner tonight so <laughs> It sounds appropriate considering you're <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> kind of how you do everything. <laughs> I, there's, there's all sorts of big trips I'd like to do all over the world. And it's just a matter of when variables align to make various things happen. But now I don't have anything super specific of like, I have no intention of like going after a whole bunch of FKTs or anything like that, or signing up for running races regularly. Um, there's too much adventure to be had to to spend time doing that stuff. <laughs> oh, I agree. Like it's like for the cost of a race entry too, it's like you could spend a couple of days outside and like I don't know. You could do what you want versus what somebody else wants you to do. Yeah. And it's like I've I've done been done with Nolan's for what is today, Tuesday. So like almost a week or over a week, week and two days. And I haven't done anything fun since then. I guess just been like nursing my feet or going for like little walks or going for like little pedals. And so it's like, it's, yeah, it's a big energy expenditure to do these things and 
now that like, I'm in the middle of recovery and just totally grumpy about like not being able to go play in the mountains. I'm like, was it really worth it? I don't know. <laughs> it, it was worth it. But I'm also just like, oh, the recovery is so slow. And I'm so bored of it. <laughs> it sounds like you're one of those people that like you could not race or even really do anything like quote unquote big and just train all the time and be totally stoked about it. Is that, is that an accurate assumption? Well, I wouldn't call it training. I go, I go and play in the mountains and I go like, yeah, I find fun people to go do fun adventures with. And some people call that training. Like I call that romping in the mountains and having a good time. So yeah, like I'm totally happy just, yeah, playing in the mountains with friends. I don't need big goals in my life to keep me motivated or keep me happier to get me out the door. And I think that's great. Like, this is kind of just like personal interjection, but I think a lot of times people get hyper-focused on, like, I want to run UTMB or I want to run like Leadville or whatever. And it's like, really, it's like just going outside and having fun, like in the mountains is like the greatest. Like personally, like I, I, I like racing. I think it's fun and I'm, I'm not that great at it. But like, I also hate the recovery aspect and I hate the tapering part because I just love like just training. I know you just call it like event training, but like, <laughs> like I love training. Like I love doing workouts. And I love seeing the progress. And then, like, having to, like, taper for races is kind of like, oh, geez, like, I just want to be outside. It's like having fun and not just sitting inside doing nothing yeah. or, or working. Maybe it's just an escape from work now that I think about it out loud. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like I raced bikes competitively for a lot of years. And I had a coach and I trained and I did intervals and I did my proper core work and I lifted my weights. And I did all that for a long time and had a lot of focus. And when I picked up running in 2014, it really was with the idea of, I've raced various things for basically my entire adult life and I want running to be a non-competitive thing. Like I want it to just be something I do for fun, like something I just do to like go see cool places and spend time with people. And aside from like a few little like races I signed up for here and there, like I think I've done a pretty good job of sticking to that ethos for running. That seems like a healthy balance there, not trying to make everything in life competitive or or whatever. It's like you can just do things because you enjoy it. Like you don't have to be like, I want to win like Western States or whatever. Like just yeah. just spending time in the mountains with friends is like probably one of the coolest things you can ever do. Yeah. And that's yeah, that's my main motivation for doing foot sport things is I've met amazing people. I have amazing friends. I have an amazing community. And we get to go do fun stuff. And I don't know if life isn't about having fun. I'm not sure quite what it's about. Oh, I I agree. Like, definitely got to have fun and enjoy it, right? Yeah. So. Awesome. Well, it was cool to hear about Nolan. So I honestly, like, I've been out to a couple of the, the peaks out there, but I don't really know that much about it. So it was cool to hear your experience and and how it all came about. It's It's a cool line. And I don't know. Yeah. I'm psyched it all worked out for me. <laughs> yeah same like i've megan posted some just some stories and stuff of you out there and i was just like oh that sounds really interesting to talk about it so it's, it's cool to see that happen and to like to see that it worked out well for you and you're stoked about it even if uh the recovery is not <laughs> the most enjoyable part for you oh my goodness i just want to go play in the mountains the leaves are changing and it's beautiful out and my feet are still tender <laughs> and i'm so <laughs> mad about it <laughs> <laughs> it totally makes sense like i don't know about you but i'm super stoked to for fall colors and stuff i think it's gonna be a fun year yeah it's gonna be good yeah well cool well, thanks for chatting um where can people find you and um yeah what's the best place to get you are you on strava and instagram and all that i'm on strava 
Um, my name is spelled funny, but I'm assuming somewhere like in the notes of this thing, my name will be written. Um, and then my Instagram is easy underscore gone underscore cotty wombling. And cotty wombling, I feel like it's not a common word. It's British slang. It means to move purposefully towards no particular destination, which I feel like encompasses what I do in my life that I move in a motivated manner, but I don't actually know where I'm going. Bye. I was actually wondering what that meant, and I, I never looked it up, and I'm glad you explained it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll definitely put links to both your Strava and the Instagram. Perfect. Those, those are kind of hard words and names to spell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not, not easy. I'm like, I should have an easy Instagram. I'm like, nah. 